hope that you'll turn with me in a Bible to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 6. And we will be looking at chapter 6, verse 28, and then continue through chapter 7, verse 7, in the book of Exodus. Here in these first few chapters of this book, we see how God is developing the faith of Moses. Moses, God's chosen servant, raised up by God to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses. And one of the distinguishing characteristics of Moses' faith is his fearlessness. God sent Moses, a murderer, someone who had long since given up any prospect of success inside of Egypt. He'd been run off in view of his crime. Someone who, by all appearances, was washed up. He's 80 years old. This doesn't seem like the time when you would embark on a new career. And yet, Moses is the one God sends to confront Pharaoh, possibly the most, the most powerful and ferocious leader of this day and time. And he doesn't just send Moses to make a simple request of Pharaoh. He sends him to tell Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. God says, let go of all your slaves, all those who are churning the engines of your economy. Let them go. How would you like to go do that? And yet, Moses is fearlessly obedient. He is bold. He is courageous. And this is what is highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He was not afraid of Pharaoh's anger. Now we may be intimidated by that example initially. How are we supposed to live that way? How are we supposed to have that kind of fearlessness when we're graduating, when we are starting out on a new adventure, when we're facing all kinds of unknown variables, when we're fearful about this or that, you substitute your own and your own life. What are you fearful of right now? We're all fearful of something or someone. And we may think the message is, okay, just go be more courageous, more bold. That's not the message. That's not the message. And praise God, it's not the message. Because God doesn't just send Moses. He equips Moses. He develops this faith within him. And we could say that he sends Moses to school. He sends Moses to school. The school of obedience. And no matter how many degrees you hold, no matter how many titles stand before or after your name, no matter your family of origin, 
No matter what you've accomplished or haven't accomplished, we all must attend the school of obedience. And we have not graduated from life. We have not fulfilled our purpose in life until we have graduated from the school of obedience. So let's look together at how God schools Moses here. Let's pick up at verse 28 of chapter 6. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The school of obedience. And what we see in verse 30 of chapter 6, when Moses complains that he speaks with faltering lips or uncircumcised lips, there's something inadequate about him. He recognizes he's not up to the task. He doesn't have it within himself to do what God has called him to do. And we might expect God to say, it's okay, Moses, you've got this. Just, just try harder. You're awesome. You're amazing. Just take pride in yourself. And isn't that so often what we typically hear from graduation addresses? You guys are amazing. You can conquer the world. You can change the world. Just go get them. That's not what God says at all. What God says instead is, because you've recognized your inadequacy, because you've admitted you can't do it, you are now usable for me. Now you're ready to begin the school of obedience. And so we begin with the prerequisite for the school of obedience. The prerequisite for the school of obedience. What you need to know beforehand what you need to have acknowledged beforehand at the very beginning is self-denial. Self-denial. You are not ready to learn in God's school of obedience until you have reached the end of yourself. And it takes some time for this to develop in Moses. We can see at least three different stages in fulfilling this prerequisite. The first is what we read about in Exodus chapter 2. When Moses has been rescued 
by the daughter of Pharaoh. There's been a decree to kill all the Hebrew baby boys, but Moses' life is spared, and he grows up with a privileged education and a privileged household, learning from the very best of Egyptian language and culture and technology. But his heart is still with his people. He still identifies with the Hebrews. And he sees their oppression in slavery. He sees what the Egyptians are doing to them, and he wants to help them. But initially, his attitude is, in effect, I've got this. I've got this. I don't need God. I've got this without God. So he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so what does he do? He murders the Egyptian. Buries the body in the sand. And he thinks that this will earn him credibility with the Hebrews. He thinks now maybe he has earned the right to lead them. But that's not at all what happens. What happens? When he tries to resolve a disagreement among some of the Hebrews, they say, who do you think you are? Who made you Lord and judge over us? You think you have a right to lead us? Are you going to do to me what you did to that Egyptian? And so Moses has to run for his life. He's rejected by his own people. He's on the run from Pharaoh, the Pharaoh who was in power before the one we read about in chapter 6. He has to run for his life. He takes refuge in a place called Midian. And it appears as though his story is over. But God is working in his life. God is showing him what it means to fulfill the prerequisites of self-denial. He has to learn that I've got this is not God's way. That is not how God chooses to work. That is not a usable instrument in God's hands. But later, we saw how God confronted Moses as an 80-year-old through the burning bush. Moses is taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, and he's drawn to check out what is happening in this bush, and God makes himself known to Moses, and he commissions Moses. He said, I've called you. I've, I'm going to send you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses raises all kinds of objections and questions. He's not sure, why me? How am I going to answer this question? What do I do if this happens? And it seems that everything is resolved. So he obeys. He goes to Egypt, and he tells Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And does Pharaoh say, oh, okay, sure. No. What does Pharaoh initially say? Boy, you people just keep getting lazier and lazier. You know what? Now you're going to have to make the same number of bricks to build the same number of buildings, and I'm not going to give you straw to do so. How do you think that went over among the Hebrews? Not too well. They get angry. And, and who is the object of their anger? Moses. They start complaining. It would have been better if you'd never even come. You've just made things worse for us. And what is Moses' answer to that? We read about this in chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? 
Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. God, you misled me. I can't trust you. Things are worse now that I've obeyed you. Have you ever been at that point with God? God, I I thought I did everything you wanted me to do. I thought I said what you wanted me to say. And now I have more heartache, more difficulty, more fear than I did before. What's the problem here? The problem is that while Moses' initial response is to say, I've got this, now he's willing to say, God's got this, but he's thinking God still needs me to do it. And we know that he thinks that way because he expects God to do what Moses wants him to do when Moses wants him to do it. He still thinks that God is operating on his time schedule. God, I said what you wanted me to say. I thought you were going to go ahead and deliver your people. And for many of us, we realize we can't do it. We're not going to say, I've got this. We know we need help. Life's just too overwhelming to face it on our own. So we're willing to say, okay, God, I trust you. God, you've got this. But we still are not totally surrendered to him because we still think that he should do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. That he somehow needs us, that his, his actions in the world are somehow dependent upon me or upon you. And as long as that's our attitude, we have not fulfilled the prerequisite. We haven't reached the point of self-denial. So what needs to happen? Well, after God reaffirms his call and repeats himself over and over again to Moses to tell him what he's called him to do, Moses gives us here, Moses the author here, gives us his genealogy, nothing very impressive about it. And what Moses is showing us throughout is God didn't choose me because I said yes the first time. God didn't choose me because he saw so much genius in me. God didn't choose me because of my family of origin. Nothing to speak of there. God chose me because he chose me. And I've come to grips with his call upon my life because of what he says in verse 30. God, I believe you've got this. And I believe you've got this with or without me. Why would you call me? I'm totally unable to do this. I'm unworthy to do it. I'm a sinner. I'm a a person of uncircumcised lips. And I speak with, with faltering lips. I can't do this. That is someone who has fulfilled the prerequisite. That is someone who has reached the end of themselves. That is someone who realizes, I am a sinner. I am unworthy to be used by this holy God. And yet somehow he's called me, somehow he's working my life, somehow he's been so gracious and so merciful to me. What do I have in my life that's not a gift from him? What have I accomplished that I, by myself, can take credit for? Nothing. 
If that's where you are, then you're ready. You're ready to enroll in this school of obedience. You're ready to listen. God is working in your heart and your life, bringing you to the end of yourself so that now you can learn. You can say, God's got this, with or without me. God is sovereign. He is in control. He has the right to do as he pleases. It is his sovereign prerogative. I'm but an arrogant worm in comparison to him. Can you admit that about yourself or are you too prideful? Well, once you've enrolled in the school of obedience, we need to know what the required reading is. The required reading is God's word. The required reading is God's word. The Lord says, I've got you right where I want you, Moses. Now you are usable in my hands. I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. I've made you like God. I've clothed you with power and with authority in the face of Pharaoh. And you are to say the words that I say. The words will originate from me to you, and your brother Aaron will deliver them. God's word. And this is so striking because in Egyptian mythology, Pharaoh is either fully divine or at least semi-divine. He is someone who sees himself as a god and who expects to be treated like a god. And now God is telling Moses, you are going to be like a god to Pharaoh. You are going to tell Pharaoh how it's going to be. You, 80 years old, apparently washed up. You, a murderer, a criminal. You, who have no other accomplishments or credentials to accomplish this. You, I'm going to make like God. But he's not to say whatever comes to his mind. His words are governed by God's words. And as a side note, this is how we have the Bible. God gave his words to the writers of the Bible, and the writers of the Bible exercised their own background, their own styles, their own individuality, all delivering a comprehensive, coherent, true and trustworthy word from God. Do you know what the required reading is? Praise God, we don't have to find our own way. We don't have to come up with our own required textbook. The textbook has been given. Are you reading it? And here's why we need this. His word is what nourishes us. Without his word, we will starve. Without his word, we won't have any courage. And my prayer today is that through this exposition of God's word, that God would strengthen your heart, that he would stiffen your backbone. Whether you're graduating or facing another transition or facing some kind of turmoil or uncertainty in your life, that you would be more fearlessly courageous and obedient 
because of God's word spoken to you today. We need this to feed our souls, to strengthen us, to remind us of God's promises, to remind us that no word from God will fall to the ground. We need God's word to remind us that His word is effective. It will accomplish what He sends it to accomplish. It will never return void. And we need His word to protect us on our own. We're vulnerable. We're subject to the temptations and and the trials of the enemy and of the evil one. We need His word to tell us what is right, what is good, what the guardrails are that He has established for our good and for His glory. We don't have to wander around in the wilderness on our own. His Word is the required reading. Take it up. Read it. Digest it. Mark it. Memorize it. And then moving into verse 3, we see what the learning objective is. The learning objective. The goal of taking this course is this. Total surrender to God's glory. The course objective here is total surrender to God's glory. And we see this because of how God deals with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart. God says he's going to display his glory by making Pharaoh even more stubborn. And by delivering his people. God's glory is fully on display in both the deliverance of his people and the downfall of his enemies. We tend to think of God's glory only being seen in the deliverance of his people. We like that. But make no mistake, God can be and will be seen to be fully just. His glory will be on full display in the downfall of those who remain hard-hearted against him. And we can't simply say that God just allows Pharaoh's heart to be hardened. The language simply won't allow that. God actively hardens Pharaoh's heart. He makes him even more stubborn. And our human instincts for Fairness and justice kick in here, and we think, wait, 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 God is making Pharaoh's heart stubborn? He's hardening his heart? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Isn't Pharaoh free? What about free will and responsibility? Where does that play in here? Two things we need to understand. Number one is that Pharaoh's heart was already hard. Is already stubborn. And we know that because that's the natural condition of my heart. And that's the natural condition of your heart. Why? Because we have all received a sinful nature just by being human. We all are drawn to be selfish by nature. We are all drawn to be prideful by nature. We're all prone to look to our own creativity, our own ingenuity, our own technology to solve what is wrong in our lives or in the world. That's you, that's me, that's all of us. 
And God is fully within his rights to execute his judgment upon any sinner. His heart is already hard. He's already stubborn. God has already made clear to him what he plans to do. And so God is fully within his rights to further harden Pharaoh's heart, to make him even more stubborn. It's God's sovereign prerogative. Who can argue with that? Who can talk back to God? And yet there's a second thing to notice here. And that is that God hardens Pharaoh's heart in response to these merciful acts. He does in response to these signs and wonders. Though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. God uses all of his glory and goodness to put that on full display for Pharaoh to see all of his goodness and greatness, and Pharaoh rejects it. He clings to his property. He clings to his pride. He won't let go, no matter what God reveals. And God's about to bring ten plagues. Ten plagues to show just how stubborn Pharaoh can be. Just how stubborn human nature is. The objective is to showcase his glory. He will show his glory in the downfall of Pharaoh. He will show it in delivering his people. And then verse 5 says, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. This is all what it's about. And God is already telling Moses this so that Moses won't be discouraged. Surely Pharaoh will get it after the first plague. Right? No. No. Surely after I've preached the gospel to you once, you'll get it. Okay, maybe twice, maybe three times, then we'll get it. Maybe after you've heard that sermon two or three times, you'll get it. No. Those who proclaim God's word, those who seek to be fearlessly obedient and courageous, to do what God has called them to do, need to be prepared for rejection. Some will not hear. Some will harden their hearts and will have their hearts hardened. Be fully prepared for that. And trust that God can be and will be glorified through it all. But the course isn't done until the final exam. What is the final exam? The final exam is faith. Faith in God's power to save. Do you trust in God's power to save? We're told in verse 6, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. They were obedient. And obedience is always fueled by faith. Obedience is always fueled by faith. The more you trust God and his power to save, the less you are trusting in yourself, the more obedient you will be. Is this obedience present in you? And if it's not, it's because you haven't passed the final exam. You don't really have faith in God's power to save. You're trusting in someone else or something else. And this shows up when we're incredibly anxious and fearful in the face of uncertainty. 
in the face of a crisis, in the face of a tragedy or a calamity. What are we doing? We don't know what to do. We fall to pieces. But for the person who trusts in God's power to save, you know that our enemy is not Pharaoh. It is not the Egyptians. Our enemy is sin. That's what we need to be delivered from. And to pull all this together, to show the kind of confidence that we're to have, I want you to remember this. The more convinced you are that nothing can successfully rob God of the glory, He alone is due. He deserves all the credit and the glory. Can you confess that today? Can you admit that today? The more you are convinced that He will have the glory in the end, He will win, He will triumph, then the more fearlessly obedient you will be. Fearlessly obedient. May God use this to bring about fearless obedience in you. And if you need any other convincing of God's power to save, remember what God has done to deliver us from sin. He sent his one and only son. He sent someone far greater than Moses. He sent him to live the life that you have not lived and that I have not lived. He sent Jesus to show us what it looks like to live with courage and boldness, with fearless obedience to all of God's commands. He, he lived the life that we were intended to live. He loved the Lord his God, God the Father with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He passed through the school of obedience with the highest honors. And yet, he gave up his life in the place of arrogant worms like you and like me. He shed his blood. He gave his life. He surrendered himself. He said, take me in place of them. And God raised him from the dead. He vindicated his sacrifice. Fully displaying his power to save. And so now, the test of your life has nothing to do with your credentials, has nothing to do with your accomplishments, has nothing to do with where you've graduated or if you've graduated. It has everything to do with whether or not you have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and in Christ alone as Lord. And you have not completed the school of obedience until that is true in your life. But if you can confess today, Jesus is Lord. I put all my trust all my confidence in him. I don't trust in anything I've said or done. I trust in him and what he's done for me. Then hear these words from Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you're doubtful, when you're fearful, when you're down, when you're feeling helpless, the answer isn't to say, I've got this. 
It isn't to look for God to say, you've got this. It's to turn this into a prayer. God, you've got this because you've got me. God, you've got this because you've got me. I am yours. And I trust that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate me from your love. Are you convinced of that today? Is that your prayer in the face of transition, in the face of doubt, in the face of uncertainty? Can you say, He is mine and I am His? I pray that you would. That you would turn to Him and trust. That you would have faith in Him. Saving faith. That you would receive what God offers. That you would rest in what God has given through His Son Jesus and that you would be fearlessly obedient, come what may. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we prepare to gather around this table today, as we prepare to receive these simple elements, I pray that this would be no mere ritual. I pray that we would not go through the motions. I pray that we would see in these elements the most precious gift that you could have ever given to unworthy, arrogant sinners like us. I pray that we would receive these elements humbly, and gratefully that we would be transformed by the work of your Holy Spirit within us. I pray that we would be more courageous, more fearlessly obedient as a result of the time we spend here around your word, around your table here today. Father, we confess we don't have this. We are not in control. We are not capable, but we trust that you are able that you are sovereign, that you are in control. And we praise you that a God like you would lay claim to sinners like us by sending your one and only Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And so we pray these things in his name. Amen.